Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Crown Podcast. I'm Ryan from goldsploitation.com and I'm joined with my co-host Mark. How's it going? Doing pretty well. We took a little break. Um, unintentional. So sorry that we took a little bit longer than expected. We're back. and th- th- You threw everything off because you know what uh, we miss? Thor? No, who cares? <laughs> More important. Our seven year anniversary. Seven or eight? Is it eight? Are we, are we on to no seven eight? years? Oh, we're seven. So we're on to year eight now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 2015 is when we started this magical trip. Great time. It's funny because we we generally um don't do the like the anniversary as anything big. We we do it by like episode count. It's like eh. Who cares well, about it, the years? Well, if somebody didn't decide to have children and all this other nonsense, we'd be on episode like 500 by now. That's right, yeah. 500 episodes for people to go back and pick and choose what they want to listen to. It's like, no, <laughs> no you, you can't. Listen, there's a, no, there's you, a, you, listen, you listen to them all. Well, there's a driving theme throughout it, so you can't just go and listen to them out of order. <laughs> there, subtly, there's a storyline happening here that we have Pl- throughout each more, episode. More planned out than the Marvel, Marvel film franchise. Mm. Eight years in the making. So what do we got today for our for our episode, our our return back? And and I guess also why do we have it today? Well, you wanted to do it. Yeah, I thought it would be interesting is, to do. This this was a you pick. Yeah, I kind of just threw it out there. We're uh we're talking about Rosemary's Baby today. Um not the two thousand seventeen made for TV remake that was super weird. Was that uh, on like NBC or something? Yeah, yeah, shown on NBC. Um, cross between Rosemary's Baby and and The Omen, where uh, it didn't really get the, the Rosemary's Baby uh, homage very done very well, but uh, it it uh, it did something. And uh, in 2017 too, like the proliferation of movies like Rosemary's Baby um, is quite crazy. I mean, there's look around. It there's a now a, a movie about a demon baby. It's it's not it's not something new anymore. So to have a TV movie based on the original is kind of weird. Just make your own, right? Like why why do you have to copy pretty much exactly what the uh, original did? Because everybody else has copied it and called it something else. As we were talking about before we got on the show, uh, Donald Pleasance. You had mistaken that he was actually in Rosemary's Baby. He's not. But he does have his own Rosemary's Baby type film um, from 1975 called The Monster or uh, The Devil Within Her. Um, Ultimately, uh, basically just a complete ripoff of Rosemary's Baby for the 1970s. So... It had been done quite a bit, and in the, in the 70s, we had a huge, huge proliferation of movies about babies, about Satan, birth, yep, about Satan, um, or all of the above, right? Um, some of them, like The Omen, get them both in. So The Omen kind of takes both the pregnancy and the birth of the kid and its growth throughout the years. Whereas Rosemary's Baby is very much um, focused on the pregnancy itself, the 
the act of getting pregnant and then the horrors of being a woman pregnant and things going wrong during that pregnancy. Um, so it is an interesting movie because we're in the midst of sort of an unprecedented political um, timeline, I will say, where we are seeing rights that have been available for 50 years overturned. And we are in at a point where some states have le- more limitations than the characters in Rosemary's Baby from 1968 or in the, in the film's uh, universe, like the 65, 66 t- uh, time frame. Um, so we wanted to do Rosemary's Baby because we wanted to showcase the ultimate uh, pro-abortion film. <laughs> What what other uh, what bigger reason do you need for an abortion than you're having the devil's child? So regardless of politics, um, we're going to talk about Rosemary's Baby uh, in the context of its time frame, um, the context of now, uh, what it brought to the table for uh, movies that came after it, which you know, basically spawned a whole number of, of uh, demon baby movies. And uh, we're going to talk about Roman Polanski a little bit. Um, as you know, we try to separate the filmmaker and the, from the movie, like the, the actual personal life of the filmmaker from the movie. Uh, we did that with Jeepers Creepers uh, and Victor Salva. And we're going to do it again with Roman Polanski. Although we will talk about context a little bit uh, because it is important in the scope of, um, this movie so with that said had you ever seen rosemary's baby before yeah i've seen it like uh probably like two times but Mm -hmm. it's been more than a decade since the last time i've seen it not something that you would find on your dinner in a movie no or or that or even uh TCM never really played it, I don't think. I have seen it on AMC a couple times uh, during like the Halloween um, movie fest. So, uh, occasionally, they'll play Rosemary's Baby. And you know what? It kind of makes sense. It's not really a movie that they really even need to censor that much. There is uh, you know, a couple scenes, a nude scenes with Mia Farrow. But other than that, it's not even really a, a, a censored movie. So um, this, the editors have, the, have an easy job. But you're right. Um, I've not, you know, it's not. It's just not common on on the on TV. Um, and I had had seen it and bits and pieces of it here and there. But um, I don't know if I've ever really sat down and watched the whole thing. So it was uh, a fun time to go ahead and watch the the whole two hours and fifteen minutes uh, for this episode. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I mainly just saw it in like uh, college. Mm-hmm. It was like it was just like one of the films like. Uh, Back in college, when I had the time to, in between classes, you know, sit down and either be like, "I'm gonna watch this anime this week" or watch this movie. Uh, I sat down, you know, checked out. Um, but that's been a de- you know decade plus now, so it's been, like I said, quite a while. Um, one thing that, you know, even if you haven't seen the movie, obviously now since 1968 it's you know it's, it's referenced a whole lot but um even more than just the references to the, the the plot itself 
the poster art is uh, pretty iconic at this point. You know, it's kind of extended down. Um, Which is funny because it's not even that good. I think it's kind of an interesting poster. You know, you have it's, the, it's your it's generic sixties Rosemary's Baby and it's got a little crit like a kit, you know baby carriage and silhouette Mia Farrow. Well, I think it's kind of interesting because you know you have well not only do you have the very weird scenario of hey this fucking decidedly British looking baby carriage is sitting on <laughs> abandoned on some rocks like who goes to the beach and just leaves their baby carriage up there on you know the the shoreline um you know it could be like <laughs> i could see uh the fog almost being like the <laughs> and on the name of this poster like the fog but with a baby because well, that's kind of like what hold it looks on, like hold on john carpenter's the fog yeah sorry john carpenter's the fog that's right see those through lines from the other episodes if you hadn't yeah. listened you wouldn't know but um, but but truthfully, what I do like about this poster is that you have the baby in the foreground, and then you have Rosemary, uh, kind of like translucently ghostly, waif-like in the background, and so the baby's uh, taking precedence. It's in the foreground. Um, it is the focal point, and that is kind of what you get from Rosemary's baby. I think it's a really good artistic expression of the metaphor that we get in the sh- in the movie um, where the baby takes precedence. Rosemary's kind of sidled off, even though she's our main protagonist and we do see most of the movie through her eyes. Um, I like the, the artwork and that like nice seafoam green too. That's a, it's a, it's a delicate color. I like it. Um, the other thing that uh, I think that we've um, kind of, has kind of spiraled down through um, pop culture is when you think of Mia Farrow, um, do you think of her with the short hair? Yes. Same for me. Same for me. I, um, when I first, when I was watching like the beginning of it, I was like, holy crap, Mia Farrow has different hair in the beginning of this movie. So I, I, I didn't even realize that, you know, she has like the pixie cut at the beginning of the movie. Um, and then goes and chops off all her hair there at the as she gets pregnant. And I, I do, and we'll talk about this probably more into the show, but I do love how literally everyone tells her, like, my God, your hair is awful. No, like, I know. It's great. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 that, it's that great staple of, like, you know, from prior times, like, where the man's just like, what the fuck did you do? <laughs> you, yeah, like, John Cassavetes comes in and he's like, like, what, what is you, that? Don't you like it? It's the uh, what's it called? Like the chic le blanc, or, yeah, you know, the, some, I can't remember. He's just like, well, honey, I think for one, your hair looks hideous. Yeah, <laughs> like, but it's not only him. It's like, like you know, like everybody else is like, you look awful. <laughs> like, and then at one point, John Cassavetes literally says, "She's like, I, I feel," and she says like something like, "I." look terrible like and she's referring to herself as like i'm feeling sick right now and he's like you know what's wrong that was the worst decision you've ever made in your life you got that haircut that was you know what that's your that's that's ultimately the worst decision that's why you you think you look terrible because it's the hair it's like not mincing words there and i love that like that that keeps coming up in the movie (laughs) what do you think uh do you like that chic uh french nouveau look that she's got going on or do you 
Uh, do you wish he kept the pixie bob there? I I I I like the, the pixie hair cooks. They're like sixties like bob cut with the curls on the side. Look, you know. Ugh. Yeah, I, I like the the pixie cut too. I, I I do think it's that they're on they're somewhat right when they say wow well, it's not 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 a fitting form for her but uh, but it's it is funny because that's that haircut it's kind of like um single white female um which had like the very hideous uh red shag cut in that movie I don't know have you ever seen single white female do you think I've seen single white female I don't know <laughs> no I have not no <laughs> well. It really perpetuated in the nineties, uh, I think, like early nineties. Uh, very hideous, red-haired, sh- like very dyed out of the box red hair, uh, shag cut. Oh, look at that! Look at Bridget Fonda. Jesus right, Christ. you see, you see it, and and that's kind of like how, what I'm getting from Rosemary's Baby too. But hers is at least like like a natural, like strawberry, like blonde. You yeah, know, like it's red and. Red and blonde, you know, where's your fondest? I got the devil. <laughs> Devil's yeah. touch. Ginger cut. I don't know. It's not working for either of them, I feel like, but. Um, did you know that uh, Mia Farrow has a sister? Uh, no. Tisa Farrow. Yeah. Tisa? Tisa. Yep, she's showing uh. up in a. Oh my goodness, you. Got the gas today. Um, yeah, she's she's been in a, a, a few horror movies. She's in Zombie. Oh. Um, if you remember back when we did that movie. We never done did Zombie. We did Zombie? No, we haven't. I, I, I feel like we did. We have not. Did we just watch it then? I feel like we did Zombie. But maybe I'm I, I think we did it. I think you're I think you're mistaken. Um, but she was in Zombie. She was in uh, a, a, a TV movie that I just watched. Oh, wait. No, no, you're right. We did yeah, Zombie. Yeah, we did Zombie. Yeah, for yeah. a re-animated. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I'm, I thought you were mistaken there, Mr. I Is that the, the one records. where... Well, I got I got pulled up now. Is that the one where they were like on like the fucking island? Like Caribbean yeah. islands? Yeah. Yeah, no wonder why I forgot about it. And uh, she's in a movie, The Initiation of Sarah, that I watched the other day. It's a TV movie. Um that's basically a uh, Carrie clone. So yeah, that's that's Mia Farrow's sister. All right, so let's take a break before we get into the movie itself. Uh, we'll talk about the beer that we have on the show today. Uh, you picked up a beer for us. Well, why don't you tell us about it? Why don't you tell us about it? Hmm. All right, I'll tell you about it. <laughs> uh, it is from Scantic River Brewery. Uh, which we've never had before. I have seen this brewery before. I remember seeing the cans for this. Um, I think it was like posted online once or twice that they like they were in stock. So I have seen this. Um, Scantic River, I've never actually tried. Uh, I believe that's from like the Massachusetts, Connecticut area. Am I right? Hamden, Hamden Massachusetts. Yeah. So yep. That would be up to you to decipher, mister. I went to Massachusetts school. I don't know Hampton, but I do know that they're literally like the Scantic River. It runs between Massachusetts and Connecticut. So that's where that comes from. Um, But we've never had them on the show. We'll see where it is. 
It's in Hamden County. Okay. Has a population of 4,966. On the smaller side. Um, and it's... Uh, West Massachusetts... No, East Mass... Like, Central Massachusetts leaning more towards West. Which makes sense. I don't know the West as well. So... It's on the border, so yeah, it'd be on like the Connecticut border. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we've never had this one before. Um, doesn't get around here too much. Um, however, if you take a look at the can for the one that we have, it has a nice little cream sickle pop on it because it's a <clears throat> raspberry stream sickle IPA. Now the whole reason I picked it up too, because I had I had a dyslexic moment, legit dyslexic moment. <laughs> When I looked at it, <laughs> I thought it said, you know, Raspberry Dreamsicle. Great. Got me there. But I thought the brewery said Satanic River. <laughs> can, can you imagine <laughs> the Satanic River? <laughs> I thought it said Satanic River. So I was like, oh, cool. It's perfect. That'll, that'll fit perfectly, you know. Uh, right with, the theme. with the theme of what we're doing for this week. <laughs> and as I'm, I'm, after I bought it and got into the car, I see that it says Scantic. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, what have I done? I'm like, <laughs> well, I, I like having seniors. I'm not even 33. I'm having senior moments. Yeah, it works. It worked out okay. You know, it's, it's right on par with what we would normally do. Um, and we weren't able to get the, the obvious tie in for this show which would be two roads roads mary's baby pumpkin well, ale. We, somebody didn't want to do it in the fall yeah i don't know uh, we, maybe at some point we'll pick up that one i'm not a pumpkin beer fan so to me in general that wouldn't be a fun one but doesn't matter it's about the poetry of it all. i know i know i know i would do it i would do it if it if it fit but we were just not able to do it and you know that's not out yet It'll be out soon, I'm sure. It'll probably be out in like two weeks, but it's not out yet. So <laughs> We're very close to uh, fall beer time. It's sure. almost August. Yep, we are. So, yeah, this is a, uh India Pale Ale with vanilla, raspberry, and lactose, which uh, puts it pretty squarely in the, the milkshake IPA category. Milkshake! Milkshakes! The lactose is what really does it there. If not, don't. This is not a beer for you if you're lactose intolerant. You'll be running to the bathroom. So it's uh, unfiltered, and hazy, and has lactose. It's have you, have you poured it out? Is it like a nice I, raspberry? Purple I did pour red? it out. No, nope, it's actually more golden than than uh, than pinkish. Well, that's yeah. It, oh, and uh, this is a, a thing that I wanted to bring up. I don't. Uh, I I watch this uh, this guy on TikTok sometimes, the beer connoisseur. And uh, yeah. I learned a, a fun tip the other day. Uh, when you're drinking IPAs, and if you got time and you're not just drinking out of a can, you want to pour it out. Uh, the correct way to pour it out is not to do the, the tilt. You do Straight the tilt, pour. like, for the first, you know, like, little bit. And then you do a hard pour. And you let the bubbles rise to the top. And you let that settle until you pour the rest in. And it's going to take a little bit of time for you to be able to pour the whole thing in. But what that does is it gets rid of the excess CO2 so that doesn't go in your stomach. You don't want that to go in your stomach because you're going to get more full. What You know what this man is called. What? We've talked about it. 
He's not a sommelier. He's a, a Cicerone. That's correct. A Cicerone. Yeah, but I just, I thought that was an interesting uh, tidbit because I didn't know that. I always Listen, pour I, mine with a perfect tilt, you know, so you don't get a huge amount of head. But, you know, what they're saying is that that's actually not releasing all the CO2. Well, you know what? Um, I'm Dusty Rhodes. I'm the American Dream. I'm just a common man. I drink, drink it, it from the fuck Straight from the can. Straight from the fucking can. I can't be bothered washing out glasses every time I drink a beer. Sorry, you know. You got to get yourself one of with, those. With, like... with, with proper glasses, <laughs> like, oh. Oh, I'm drinking Armageddon Greer Voss today. It's got to go in the tulip. No, just no, you got to get yourself one of those like iron canteens from uh, the spaghetti western. You know, like the the ones that they, the flagons, but the, the it's got real iron in it so that everything comes out tasting real metally. Like, I don't know. This beer tastes the same as the other one. I don't know. It just tastes like metal. Your your trusty Vault Thirteen canteen from uh, New Vegas. Yeah. You like how that pops up every time, like you're just like walking around the Mojave and you see like you take a sip from your trusty canteen. <laughs> Alright, but back to Scantic Riverbury. So it's Raspberry Streamsicle. Um I'm gonna say it's pretty good. It's not, not up to not, par of, of some of the other milkshake IPAs that I've had. Snow Southern Tier. Southern tier milkshakes IPAs are bad. Mm-hmm. Right, right. It's, it's good, but it's it's good, uh, but it's not. It's not mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Like it's the raspberry. Like what I kind of noticed. Now on number two, it's kind of hit or miss. Yep. Sometimes like it's you get that nice tart bitter sweetness, and sometimes it's kind of meh mm-hmm. there. It definitely does have like a creamy. Lactose milk taste, milkshake taste to it, mm-hmm. uh, especially for an eight percent IP uh, double IPA. It's very smooth, goes down, you know, pretty good. It do- definitely does have a sweetness to it. Very kind of, I would say, sugary almost. Mm-hmm. You know, um, well, I mean, lactose is milk sugar, so no, I know, but I mean, like, just like when you drink it, it's kind of like uh, the most prominent taste you get out of it is the sugar. Uh, it's good. I would definitely try the or- the orange one, but it's definitely out of like all the like the kind of like creamsicle milkshake IPAs. I would say it's middle of the road, but it's still a very good drink, very good beer. Yeah, I I would probably say the same. I think that the raspberry flavor does come out a- a- occasionally. Um, sometimes it does come off as like a almost like over overly sweet. Maybe that's partially because of the lactose. Um, that's making it a little bit too sweet at times, uh, but um, the raspberry flavor does come out at times. Um, what I will say doesn't really come out that much is vanilla. I don't get a whole lot of vanilla. I get a lot of raspberry, and I get a lot of that sugar sweetness and the the milkshakiness. I, I get a wheat weediness too, kind mm-hmm. of like a wheat, like a wheat beer. Not yeah, you, but yeah, kind of get like a yeah, a little bit. Um, what I don't get is vanilla, and um, I think that. The vanilla would re- would first of all really make this uh, stand out a little bit, um, because it would emphasize the creamsicle quality. Um, because you you really do think with creamsicle um, the fruit and the vanilla, um, but it would also um, 
I think too, like we we've had a lot of beers that have what you would call vanilla, but it's really like the marshmallow flavor. And um, I feel like this would pair well with like a marshmallow, um, you know, very heavy marshmallow vanilla flavor. So I think it's it's good. Um, I think it can the lac- uh, say the lactose is really carrying that vanilla taste. Still. Yeah, yeah, and it's I like which may, you know is mainly pure sugar. It's not like you know an actual vanilla taste. And I also think that um, it is somewhat on the thin side, even though it is it does have uh, some creaminess to it. I think it's still on the thin side from what I've had from milkshake IPAs. Um, I would have I would have liked to see a little bit more body to it. Um, another thing too, is if you're not a fan of, um, what I would, I think would, I would call like more like an artificial raspberry flavor, uh, kind of like a Tarani syrup. Um, if you're not a big fan of that, then you probably are not going to like the raspberry flavor in here because it's, it's very kind of syrupy. It's not, doesn't really taste like a real raspberry flavor. Um, but with that said, I think it's like you said, fairly middle of the road. Um, it's not bad, definitely drinkable, um, but it's not the best milkshake IPA I've had. And I've definitely had better, uh, creamsicle style IPAs, um, than this one, but still worth the checkout. And, uh, I would be interested in trying that orange one as well. Uh, I think that sounds interesting. Uh, as long as it doesn't go really hard towards the orange side, I think it would be a, a pretty good beer. I just would like to see a little bit more vanilla, um, present here but good pick good interesting good to try new breweries scantic river brewery i've never uh never had before and i've just vaguely heard of them in passing so yeah they had this the orange cream sickle and the honey beer which is like a nine percent oof the honey beer see that's one that's gonna i'm glad we didn't start out with them with the the honey beers because it's probably more mead-like than, mm. you know, because there's like a nine, I think nine percent. Uh, yeah, those aren't like honey beers are not my thing too much. I will try them. I'm just not a huge fan. But all right, so Rosemary's Baby. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about the the ultimate pro-abortion agenda. <laughs> yeah. The film, the film that as they were deciding Roe v. Wade, that they're like, yeah, let's do it. They said, you know what? We were going to go against this, but what happens if you do have a demon baby? If you're raped by Satan and you have, you know. What do you do in that scenario? And of course, at least in this movie, doctors scoff at ectopic pregnancy. Ectopic pregnancy? What? That's what one of the funniest parts of this film. Yeah, is that's it's just like you've been reading and have <laughs> women reading and things about medicine. Because because as as um she as Rosemary is worried that she might be having an ectopic pregnancy, the doctor that she seems like you've been reading, haven't you? And she's like, yes. He's like, no more reading. That just creates silly ideas yeah. for you. Run along now. Yeah. She basically gives her a pat on the head 
and like a cup of hot tea and says it's not an ectopic pregnancy and then like scoffs into his <laughs> into his office his pot, into his pregnancy and, into and lighting his pipe up like <laughs> oh listen like oh you've become you're already as Ryan perfectly said a waif woman now you're becoming gaunt normal Com- yeah completely normal Complete- are you losing lots of weight with your pregnancy completely normal Normal. i don't know what you're talking about you'll gain it and that's not like that too like they like they reassure like don't worry you'll be fat in no time like yeah they're like you'll be putting on weight in no time and you know probably more than you should i really like that doctor because he is like <laughs> the epitome of like the doctor that just doesn't listen he's like i know everything don't worry i'm a doctor i went to school I know everything, so you don't need to think about it at all. You just like don't mind your your pretty little head. I'll tell you everything you need to know, and that's it. You just you just ignore everything else, Doctor Saperstein. Um, Ralph Bellamy plays him well, and that's kind of how I imagine like what doctors used to be like. Um, and yeah. I mean, even some he old looks, school doctors he, are too. He, he very looks like Freud. Yeah, Phil, yeah, know, he does. Like, yeah, yeah. But I imagine that's kind of like that's kind of like what the old school doctors were like. You're like. Um, or at least like, even if you think back to like in the 1800s, you're like, doctor, I really don't feel well. You're like, you know what we're going to get? We're gonna get some leeches to suck that evil poison out. Okay. The- we're going <laughs> to, we're going to, we're going to suck that bad s- s- feeling that you've got right out. Get the, and, and, get the, get the demons out of your like, blood. Wait, wait, but, but doctor, I think this is like truly like an illness or something. I think I, I think I ate something poor. Nope. 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 The leeches will take it out. Don't worry. That's what I feel like. Uh. Dr. Saperstein does in this movie. Um, so, so Rosemary's baby, uh, w- which I found interesting um, coming in and like having seen here, here and there and stuff like that. And, and knowing about it from pop culture um, is that I, you know, I was expecting a little bit more of the actual baby element, but for a long running time of the movie, um, there's no pregnancy. Uh, there is just the uncomfortable feeling that the Woodhouse's, have moved into an apartment complex where nosy neighbors abound. Um, and the, the, the most nosiest neighbor are the Castavets that live next door, um, who basically will not let either of them have like a, a, a moment of peace in their house. Which, which is a missed opportunity. You got John Cassavetes as Guy Woodhouse and like, you have Cassavetes. And I love, nope. yeah, I love that too. Like, like the, yeah, it was, it was just like, was that a coincidence? Did they write it that way? Do they have John Cassavetes here? And then they were like, hmm, well, Castavet, uh, we could write that in so that we could, it's an anagram. Let's try that. No, no, no. Castavet, it looks like, is actually in the novel. But oh, I mean, okay. it's, it's, it's kind of like. Serendipity. Yeah, that's the very definition of serendipity yeah. right there. Like, oh, yeah, I thought that as well. And, and not only that, and this is not serendipity. Well, actually, I'm, I don't know. Is it serendipity? We've got Roman Polanski directing, and, and Roman Castavet is the uh, is the main um, head in of the, the coven. Is that in He's the book, in the too? Book. Yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, Ro- yeah, the guy's name is Roman Castavet. Look at that. So. Look at all the serendipity. It was meant to be. Satan himself was working on this movie. No, no. Hold, hold on. Stop. You've seen Dogma. It's Selma Hayek showing her boobs. She's like, <laughs> dancing around a candy girl. Candy girl. my world. Who's that? Oh, that's serendipity. <laughs> you know, so sweet. Must be a treat. 
Get ready for Clark Street. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what did you think about the opening uh, of the movie in like the first like 45 minutes where we really, you know, we see. It's an hour. It's an hour long. I I tracked it. It takes an hour. Yeah. Yeah. To get to like, oh, I'm pregnant because I was reading like the Wikipedia and it's like, this is very detailed. And then it's like, oh, it's like only takes an hour to fucking. Um, I I think it's fine, actually, because I think. I think because of the time the film was made and kind of like the, the philosophy of filmmaking of like, you know, the 60s and 70s, that slow burn works really well because you get to see our protagonist. We get to see over, you know, the overall issues. There's nothing like that they... Sh- show that's trying to be way too grand or ostentatious it's all just like slow like like a play it's slowly working up to something Mm -hmm. i mean i think i I think it works really well like you know going from like watching them buy like you know apartment hunting and like how they're in like through them finding the apartment how you know a guy and rosemary's uh, relationship is and then when they get into the apartment, adjusting to it, and how they are, and then as we meet the cast of vets, how that, like, you know, impacts them, and we go from, you know, guy, you know, John Castavetti's being like, I don't want to fucking deal with these old crones, because if, if we, you know, see them once, then, then we're stuck with them. And then after that, he's like, I want to fucking meet this guy every day. He's so great. And, you know, and <laughs> I want to hear all the stories. Yeah, you know, seeing that, tra- you know, transition of Rosemary you know, still being skeptical and not really trusting of them and watching, you know, Guy kind of descend into the madness. Yeah. I, I think I think it is interesting. It's a little too... I think I, the film would have worked more well, like, if we, if we didn't see Guy, like, transform, like, overnight. I get it because he's, like, technically possessed and, you know, except a to deal with the devil but i think if like it was like a more if we got to see his personality kind of slowly turn instead of kind of like on a dime it'd be more interesting because after we get to kind of see him kind of like oh no i like them they're really cool and stuff and then like constantly like defending them like you know obviously he's not an honest actor and that's only like a half hour into the film mm-hmm. but i do like the slow, you know, the slow burn kind of seeing how their relationship de- develops with the cast of Ets and what the cast of Ets, who the cast of Ets are and the apartment and all that. It's, you know, I think it does work well because it's also really quiet too. like uh, soundtracks very muted it only comes up in like certain parts of the point uh, film. It's very just like, like you said, like a play. It's very just like shot in certain scenes and it's very static and you get to kind of see just like everything kind of unfold yeah i think that um it, you know it, it really helps that all of the characters are really well acted um the woman who plays Minnie, ruth gordon she's really good at um showing <laughs> you know the very annoying nosy neighbor uh trope that uh she brings to the table uh and not only that but like it's great how she constantly works her way into the 
fabric of all of the dialogues um or even just barges her way into the the um woodhouse's apartment like at any time uh it's it's done really well and i think like the what one thing that i really like about rosemary's baby is like you said the it takes about an hour for the baby to actually to actually be like you know we have a baby um but along the way we are subjected to these really weird instances of um uh just encounters that just seem odd um and how polanski structures it is like it's almost like a um more of like a dramatic uh film for you know the first hour hour and a half where we're you know we're we're suspecting where we things are weird but if you were watching it and not necessarily expecting a horror movie you probably would be going along with it like ah oh, what's going on like why i i i would disagree to the uh, to that point because when we get to meet you know uh what was their name? Terry in the laundry room, and how like oh the cast of Eds are taking me in, and they've given me this lucky charm and has Tannis through, and then the next scene we see she's just throwing herself off the fucking building, mm. she's like bleeding, and the cops that is true. Are very, and the cops are very much like stand back, stand <laughs> yeah. back. Another hysterical woman has thrown herself from the fucking roof. <laughs> And that then, like, true, yeah. and then, you, then when you see the cast of vets roll up, they look like a pimp in a fucking like, <laughs> yeah. you know, they got he's got like half a pimp suit on. And she's like, talking, like what, "What's going on? What's going on?" I Roman Custavet, who's I know her. Yep, yep, that's her handwriting. Yep, I don't think she'd kill herself, but oh, it looks like she did. Poor woman. <laughs> yeah. Poor woman. Poor woman had the vapors. Hmm, shame. Yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> you, you're right. That one. That one scene right there is is definitely like setting in motion the oddness of you know their interactions um and i do like that scene too because you're right like the new york city cops are just like uh they don't oh they don't believe she's dead um they don't believe she's dead she they don't believe she jumped okay hold on a second let me pull you over here look at that look at look at the blood splattered all over the place did she jump is that her yep that's her okay that's what i thought they're like so brash and you know surly about everything they're like, is, is that her handwriting? Yep. Well, it looks like she jumped out of herself. No, like she's, she must have been doing laundry or something. Ah, <laughs> eh, whatever. <laughs> must have, yeah, she must have been cleaning the windows and slipped out or something. <laughs> uh, at 10 o'clock at night. They're like, yeah, that's, you know, like, like listen, we we have cases to close. Yeah, if you if you want to say that, she, you know, she was cleaning a fucking window and hopped out, sure, fine. We got better things to do. You know, it's Yeah. Yeah, I do. That, that, is, a great, that is a great scene where... Like, my only question with that is, though, so, like, it's, why would, the as we learn throughout the film with, like, with the cast of Vets, why would the cast of Vets be dealing with Terry? Well, maybe they were trying to uh, do the Recru- same thing. And I know, but, but, I mean, if she was a, dr- she was a druggie, we learned she was on, nope. Maybe they're easier to convert that way. I know, but like, so were they trying to convert her to the coven, or like, were they trying to get her pregnant? I think they were trying to get her pregnant. It's why they would give her the Tannis root as well, which seems to be like some sort of uh, almost like a, a pheromone or something like that, like a you know, kind of like cinnamon. Um, but I mean, but but it's, it, but it's a pheromone it's, to get the demon's dick going, you know. But I mean, it seems weird because I mean, if they say like, oh, you have to be a Catholic, but I think Mia Farrow works so well. In the, especially in the story, like Rosemary does, because she is kind of a, 
she is like a pure, you know, kind of pure and innocent. Like, yeah, her, you know, in modern day, like, slashers, like, you know, she's not a virgin, but she is, like, she's not having sex with John Castavetti's out of wedlock. They're, they're married, mm-hmm. you know, and they, and they do want a family, so she does have, like, a kind of a pureness to her, so it's kind of weird that, you know, Terry, being the junkie, you know, dope addict that's been taken in, like, like, so what was the purpose of them, like, trying to have her, like... And is it just like that she's a Catholic and they can use her to have Satan fuck her and have her baby? Or is it like, were they trying to convert her? It's not, she's not around long enough for that, you know, to to really matter. But it's kind of like a thought I had. Like, wait, 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 wait. Like, so why were they having Terry, you know, kind of stick around if, you know, they were going to use, you know, Rosemary to be the vessel for satan maybe they uh had originally intended to uh have her and then they were like oh wow rosemary is perfect for this we've got like a whole couple we can just convince them instead and they were like terry you gotta go you've outlived your welcome bye see you later i don't know um it is interesting like you said that the, the film doesn't really go into much detail about it um was she getting too close was she infertile um you know was it it, the film it kind of would have been interesting to explore the fact that like they found out oh she you know she wanted to have kids but she couldn't or something like that in the movie because then i would have given it even more of like a context of like fertility and um things that like they are obsessed with like in the coven i think that would have been an interesting um thing to find out but you're right that that doesn't really go very far um, it probably which, is something that is left is, out from from the book. I say which that is brought up in the film. Rosemary's fertility. She talks about all the nieces and nephews she has, and she just and she even quite blankly says like, "Oh, we're quite fertile." So you know, they're like, "Oh, like, oh." But if you're Satan, you, the under, you know, the Lord of the underworld, whether that womb's fucking dust or not, you should you should be able to, you know, if your seed's that potent. Come on. Yep. Come on, Satan. That's he, true. What sounds you, like a he's not an alpha. It sounds like he's just Satan, not an alpha, not Chad. He's not Jesus. Jesus is Chad. I don't know. He looks like a pretty good lover in that scene. <laughs> just, Probably what spawned like all the kinds of like furry, uh, just nice rapey missionary. Just like I don't know. Like there's like the whole writhing hands on the hips thing. Like he looks like a pretty good lover. I don't know. Speaking of, I say, speaking of lover, how'd you like that scene when we talked about it off air? How'd you like that whole scene when they like, they move into the apartment and then they're sitting in the dark eating like dinner on the floor and then Rosemary's just like, "Let's make love." What's sexy? And then than and, that? and then you get three minutes of them slowly taking their clothes off. Both of them at the same time, and just like Castavetti's like struggling with his pants. <laughs> Castavetti's is a very flexible man. He's like doing, you know, yoga on the floor trying to get his pants off. Trying to get like you know. <laughs> I don't know. It's very. It's a. Uh, I guess it's uh, meant to show the intimacy of the couple. You know that um, they're on the same wavelength. Um, that this is something that they uh, have wanted to you know to get an apartment together and. But it is very awkward. It, it, it does seem like it was written by a man where it's just like all of a sudden the woman is just like, let's let's have sex. 
let's do it. You know, you're just fucking tempted. You're just uh, eating so sexily over there. I can't even contain myself. myself. I must take my pants off. Right. (laughs) But But it it just comes out of nowhere. But in a nice classy way, like like I said, she's like, let's not, yeah, she, yeah. She didn't, she didn't say like, what's fuck. She's like, let's make love. Actually, you know, and Sarah, and my wife said too, because she was over, she overheard some of the the movie. She wasn't watching it, but she overheard. It. She was like, oh, Rosemary has like that sultry voice going on because there's that one scene where you know they're getting ready. They're like having the whole dinner sequence of like you know it's going to be a special night and we're gonna you know it's 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 the time of the month that's perfect for us to to have this. Uh, this post, this coitus, and um, they're having the moose that um, uh, is brought over from the cast of vets, and uh, she said she puts it into her napkin because she says it tastes funny, uh, chalky, and, yeah, chalky. And then uh, her husband comes back and she's like, "See, daddy, I ate it all," or something like that, in like her sultry voice, and it's like, "Oh, she does have a little naughty side there." Um, which that's great too, like showing just like, <laughs> excuse me, guys kind of downfall, and then like as you know, but it's so kind of cartoony at times. Just mm. like they're sitting there, You're right. she, um, you know, uh, Minnie brings over the moose, and like, oh, eat it, it's so delightful, and he's just sitting there like a <laughs> man, like fucking like it's chocolate moose. He's not delicately like ooh, he's. Like, fucking just he's pounding it yeah shoveling it in his mouth like a fucking idiot and then she's like oh that's good and then she's like it has a chalky undertaste and he's like you're a fucking idiot yeah he's he's, (laughs) yeah no because they get into like a little fight about it she he's she's like no it doesn't taste very it tastes weird and he's like it tastes fine mine tastes fine look at me look at me eating it i'm eating it she's like they actually have a legitimate like like fight over yeah. it. Like you know, he's like, she's like, it has a chalky undertaste, and he's like, you're a fucking bitch. <laughs> he doesn't she's, say that, but she she slaved over this moose, and you're gonna sit here and be like, oh, it's chalky. You fucking eat it. You're right though. Like there are a couple of instances where the film does go into cartoony antics of like. No, you must do this, Rosemary. And Rosemary kind of pushes back. She's like, I don't want to. Like, I don't. I don't want to do this. And then, like, they, like, come They're up like, with some random weird excuse to make her do it. She's like, oh, yeah, okay, I guess that makes sense. Well, the weirdest th- thing that they always constantly say with, like, you know, as she's starting to suspect, like, the, there's, like, this, something's going on because she's pregnant and she's already waif as it is. And she's getting gaunt and gray and sickly. And, you know, you got Dr. Saperstein, like, oh, this happens. It'll go away in, like, a couple of days. Just keep keep on keeping on. And, like, after, like, a couple of weeks, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, usually what old women happen when they have babies. But, uh. <laughs> you, yeah, you've got uh, it, too. You, like, you're. you're uh, like... Yeah, you got it, too. Don't worry. And then when Rosemary's like, I think I should get, like, not even say, like, Saperstein's an idiot. And she's like, I think I need to see, like, Dr. Hill. I need to have a second opinion because something's not right everyone's like god why would you hurt dr saperstein's feelings <laughs> i know <laughs> why i mean you have the best doctor in all of new york city and you want to see dr hill but you you're seeing saperstein what about like because like you know she's like well i think i just need a second opinion i'm not saying i'm going to change but i just need like a second opinion and he's like what about and he just john castaway's like well what about saperstein what about his feelings? Yeah. What about, you know, it's like... Are you sure so... that you want to hurt his feelings by going to somebody else saying he doesn't know what he's talking about? 
Yeah, no, it's it's great. Like, cause they have to keep coming up with these excuses, and and Castavetes is the one too. And you can, I, I, but I like this too because I like the fact that he's starting to get more and more flustered because he's not really like he's just been pulled into this coven, right? Because he's he's basically agreed, like, oh, you'll help you'll help me get parts, you'll help blind this guy for me. I wouldn't right. even say he, I would say I wouldn't say he's pulled though because I think I. Mean, I Tempted is more because yeah. he, he he succumbs to the temptation like like they constantly like in the first hour like oh what's your husband do well he's an actor oh what was he in well he was in two plays and he's um in a bunch of commercials and then we see the Yamaha commercial where you know John Castavetes is in it and you're like oh you know and so it's like oh he is an actor but he's not making the kind of money that should make them be in the apartment they're in but he's an actor and you know we get to. Uh, Kind of see, which is you know subtly hinted at, like kind of his vanity. Oh yeah. At the beginning, like it's not played up because for the most part he is you know pretty fine with the situation and stuff, but it's more you kind of like the undertones of like his. Well, you could see his desire. His, his, he wants his, to do yes. something more, but he his says, la- he says his, like his, if his I la- have to do yeah. Mister Yamaha forever, okay, I will. Yeah, it, but yeah, I want but something his, more. Yeah, but his lack of success is kind of eating at sure. him. Sure, yeah. Um, and then, like, that's where we get to see as, like, you know, they make the pact with the coven. He makes the pact with the coven. Everything start, you know, going great for him and his selfishness. I mean, I... But I, but I do think it was kind of like a, I, like I said, I wish it was that with... Like, and I think Castavetes does do a great job. I'm not saying... I'm not faulting him, but I do wish... Because the film is two fucking and a half, like two and a half hours long. I do wish there was more of a burn to like his kind of succumbing to temptation, because his temptation is he succumbed to temptation after the first visit with the Castavets. After you know he's saying I don't want to fucking stay with these old people. They're gonna cling on to you, and never let go. And then after that one dinner, he's already been you know tempted into it. Um, you know as. It's how easy Rose, he is to after, after the the dinner the shitty steak that they microwaved for too long and Rosemary and uh, Ruth or Minnie are sitting there washing the dishes and the men are out smoking in the lounge because that's God that's what God wants after the meal women clean the, cook the dishes I mean cook the meal they clean the dishes the men go out for a smoke but I I just like that like I said I I'm not saying it's like a critical fault with the film but I personally would wish. To kind of see his fall be a little bit more gradual and take its time. Because we don't get to see her pregnant until like an hour in the film. So I think he spent more time showing his fall be kind of slower. And like not succumbing to the temptation right away. And slowly working towards that. I think it'd be much more interesting. Well I think part of the problem uh, that the film has with doing that is that uh, really it doesn't leave rosemary's side uh as the protagonist like it doesn't um follow any other person so it would be hard to show his change you know over time meeting with them uh when it's really focused on rosemary but i I think they could i I think they could though because again like we were literally with rosemary the entire film but again like i said again originally he's like i don't want to fucking go over there I don't want to deal with them. And then after after one time off screen with that first you know meal, talking to Roman, he's like, yeah, he's really interesting. And then every time they have an interact, Rosemary and 
guy having an interaction, he's more and more like not on Rosemary's, mm. you know, side. He's like, well, what about the cast of Vets? Or like, what about Dr. You know, Saperstein or so, so on and so forth. So it's, uh, you don't have to show him fall through his eyes. It's just, you just have to make it slower. Like have that transformation, you know, not be like a 180 like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, that uh, John Cassavetes has the toughest role because he does have to he has to act like he has nothing he knows nothing about what's going on he's just like oh, I don't know like just believe the doctors but then at the same time he knows and he has to be constantly in the background hovering um, you know like being the stand in for Rosemary like there's that party that she throws where she's like I'm throwing a party for all of our old friends I don't want any of these new people here you know, over 65. And no one over 65. Because all, all your friends now are over 65, yeah. John, and this is fucking ridiculous. Is that, she's, so she throws a party and has what all are they do- other what friends are they over. What are they doing, Ryan? What, what's, what's that? What's, what are they doing? What do you mean, what are they doing? What are, their, what are her friends doing? Smoking dope. Yeah, yeah. Drink, and they're having a good time. You That's know? true. Unholy. I, uh, I, I, but I really like this scene too because it adds a lot of a nice context. Because uh, we've been getting like this weirdness of you know falling into this cult, and all of a sudden we, you know, we're we're kind of brought back out of it for a second, where we see like, oh, this is this is how like fairly normal people act, mm. like, um, the, and that, and then they kind of her friends all bring her into this room where they, uh, keep got guy out of the the room, and they say like, no, women only, you're not allowed in here. And, and you look awful, and <laughs> yeah. And, but I, but I like this scene because it adds a lot of context. Because like, whoa, yeah, like th- weird things are happening, and these, you know, now you kind of get a, a sense of like these people aren't in on it, and now we know how the people act who are in on it. And I like that a lot, and I also like the fact that um, this scene bring it brings up that the thing that happens with all pregnant couples and pregnant people um, is that people constantly feel the need to comment on something about you. Wow. You look great. You look glowing. You're pregnant lady. Uh, wow. Look at can, your belly. Can, uh, I, can, I, can I rub it? Yeah. No. Um, or, like, there's always so much attention lavished on like the act of having that baby, the, the baby itself, the, the, the present, how you look um, with the baby. And, and like in this uh, example, um, Rosemary's, as you said, is still looking gaunt. So people come in and like, wow, you look terrible. <laughs> you look absolutely awful. And that's kind of, um, well, first of all, that's not what you normally would hear, like from a, for a pregnant <laughs> yeah. person, like you look glowing, you, you've got that glow about you, but also at the same time too, it does bring up the very interesting theme that runs throughout this film that Rosemary constantly, you know, loses her agency as she's pregnant and it becomes less she kind of fades out of being a person uh it's less and less about rosemary it's more and more about this baby and even then in that scene where people are normal they're not actually satanists they're not uh they don't have a, a say in in anything that's going on with the rosemary's baby they still are lavishing praise on the baby itself and the act of how you look as a pregnant person not really you as a person and i think that's really uh you know, it's, it's an interesting um, thing that the movie points out. And, you know, it's not the only time that Rosemary's Baby brings up the fact that, like, Rosemary has very little agency in the whole process, even though we're seeing her as the protagonist. But this scene really showcases, like, what p- pregnant people go through. Because, like, 
you know, not everybody's pregnant with a demon baby, right? But and and has a, a apartment full of Satanists um, hounding them. But everybody does at some point, or most people that couples that are pregnant do go through this period of time where um, people are more focused on the baby than the person. And I think that's it's it's a kind of an interesting thing that the movie brings up, um, which which brings us to the point about. Roman Polanski directing this movie that is very, very, uh, you know, feminine, um, that, that takes a, a very specific look from the female perspective about pregnancy and the lack of agency that some people have during that pregnancy. Um, this movie was made in 1968, takes place in, uh, 65 through 66. Uh, it's actually kind of a Christmas movie. Um, Christmas yeah. Um, and yet it still has a really cool um, theme about the lack of female agency when they're pregnant and having very little um, say in what they're doing. Um, you know, because everybody's telling Rosemary what to do, right? Like, if we take this at completely metaphorical value, if we take out the fact that there's a demon baby here, Rosemary doesn't really get a say in what she wants. John Cassavetes tells her, hey, you need to see this doctor. Their neighbors say, you need to do this, do that. Uh, the doctor says, hey, you don't like that drink that you're drinking? Drink it anyway. It's, it's disgusting. I don't care. Drink it anyway. And even when Rosemary goes to seek out a second opinion with Dr. Hill and thinks, wow, I've really done a good job here. Dr. Hill, he's such an amazing guy. He's listening to me. He doesn't listen to her. And he calls her husband and her other doctor. Which, do you know who plays Dr. Hill? Uh, Charles Grodin. The Charles Grodin. <laughs> with that delightfully dapper mustache that he's yeah, got. Yeah, he's got a good mustache in this one. <laughs> not, not, not always the case with Charles Grodin. Looks like he belongs on the set of Mad Men. It's amazing. Like, <laughs> like oh, and in 30 years, you'll be in Beethoven Part 3. <laughs> yeah, you're right, though. That's a, it's a nice mustache from Charles Grodin. But but how'd you like that? When she goes, she she confesses to him. She's like, you know what? People are are uh, even even if he didn't take it, like even if he was like, oh wow, you know, some prepartum depression or something going on here. What does he do? He calls her husband, who she specifically said, please don't call, please don't talk to these people, and do he does it she, anyway. Do you think she he was convinced that like he, um, like, like he was tempted in some way? I don't know. Or, or, I don't. Or, or, I don't or know do you because you, you're right. Though at the end of the that scene where she's leaving, he kind of gives her a weird look, right? Like, uh, yeah, like, like like he's been tempted yeah. into it, like you know. But I, I like mean, he's still been promised at, at, something. at some point though, he did call them, right? So like, he was. It seemed like he was like kind of like not. He obviously didn't believe her, but he was kind of receptive to like listening to what she had to say. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as he, she was, he was like, who's your obstetrician? And he's like, she's like, Oh, Dr. Saperstein. He's like the Dr. Saperstein, you know, cause he's so well-respected. He's yeah. He's your OBGYN number numero uno, you know, uh, uh, I, I think the mystery there on whether or not he was an honest actor um, or if, you know, if he was tempted, that that is interesting, because I I think I'd kind of like to think he's someone got to him, mm -hmm. and you know, because uh, we get that little <clears throat> scene when she's calling in the phone booth, which 
what what a nod to how society's out of whack. Uh, she's in a phone booth with a rotary phone, uh, children. <laughs> and, but you got that guy that's, you know, kind of lingering about mm. outside, and we don't know whether or not, like, you know, he's like a cultist or just waiting for, to use the goddamn phone. Um, you know, so there's a lot of possibilities to that, whether or not, you know, somebody infiltrated and found out and got to him, or if, you know, he willingly was like, ah, you're he got the hysteria. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I think either way, though, the, the metaphoric theme here is that, you know, the, the woman <clears throat> is prone to hysteria, especially during pregnancy. And Talk, I was say talking about pre, they're talking about prepartum, like, sounds like you got prepartum, which sounds like uh, women hysteria, uh, just running through the hysteria. Pretty much. And I, like, I, <laughs> I, I like too how John Cass, uh, yeah, he was, he's, he's kind of like meets with her after that. And he's like, you can't even you you can't deny the fact that you were fucking a little bit crazy there. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's like just trying to make it all about how she was nuts. It's just great. I love it that that the way that the 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 film kind of tries to spiral to make it seem like Rosemary's going off the deep end, and 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 at a certain point too, like prior to the end of the movie, there is a point where you're like. You know, like, what is really going on here? Is everything as we think it is? And it's like, yeah, it is. There's these people are Satan, satanic worshippers, and there's a demon baby. But um, there, you know, like it, the film kind of tries to do a little 180 there when the the baby, quote unquote, dies. It's like, hey, you were kind of crazy there. You're kind of losing it. Um. I do. I really like that. I, I like the fact that like it keeps bringing that up as like this woman is just fucking hysterical, you know. And but 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 not but like in a tongue in cheek way, like because we know as the the viewer, like she's not hysterical. Uh, she's she has you know fully lo- tons of reasons why she should be hysterical in this instance. And the film is kind of like the. Um, antithesis of what we see in a lot of the 60s and 70s movies where it's just like woman hysterical uh don't know what to do with her uh she's just losing her mind sometimes i don't know just give her a slap or two yeah yeah it's it's the antithesis of that and what do you think about that um coming from writer director roman polanski uh from the context of later (laughs) later events in polanski's life What, what what does that mean for this movie I, it's it's weird, but I mean at the same time I don't. I think I mean we see hypocrisy all the time, so I don't think it's out of really you know that big of a deal that he could have like a film that he helped you know obviously write and direct, have like this kind of tone and messaging, and then him be kind of not kind of be a skizzy <laughs> scumbag. I mean, so I mean. I, like like so that, like that kind of hypocrisy, you know, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really bother me in that sense because again, like, it's totally possible whether you know, whether or not like you know it, how the film shot and kind of like the overall tone and message, whether or not it's genuine from Polanski and other things that his life transpired that affected him, I don't know. I'm not one to say or judge. But I, you know, I mean, 
it, it, like I said, it's not something like that I dwell too much on. Like, because again, like if that's the case, every time I watch a fucking Miramax film, I'm like, what was Harvey Weinstein thinking about when you know he gave the money for this film? You know. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that it's out of the question that people change over time, and you know, there was a long period of time before. Well, like I say he raped. I say the girl that he, the twelve-year-old girl or whatever that he raped, was like it was around the same time. I think so. Oh, really? Was it? I think I. I don't think it was later. No, mm. it was in the late sixties that he got accused of that. I mean, I do think it's interesting. I think that um, there, there may be some element of you know pulling fr- from the the actual book, like right, like how much did did, did Polanski pull from the book. Versus, you know, infusing into his own, you know, themes here. Um, it is hard to reconcile <laughs> this, the fact, but... 1977, he was accused mm. and arrested for uh, rape. Yeah, so it was, you know, it was nine years later, but um, it, it is just an interesting, you know, thing in the context of his life that Rosemary's Baby is such a... Um, you know, critique of the way that women were treated uh, in their in their viewpoints, um, and yet <laughs> those things happened. Um, it's hard to reconcile with. So, um, I guess other than that, what did you what do you think about the uh, the soundtrack? Because the soundtrack is pretty iconic. Um, it has been redone. Um, you know, I, we talked about this off air, but uh, Phantomaz, the Mike Patton band, they did a rendition of the soundtrack. But the uh, the re- the soundtrack itself, the uh, the La 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 lullaby. What do you think about that? How do you how do you like that? It's all right. Um, it I actually it doesn't was... show up too often in the movie. No, it does. I think I think it's just more nice that like you know we see it in the beginning and then the film kind of comes uh full circle like uh yeah how about the uh, um the jazz jazz is pretty great in here uh there's a, a couple different scenarios that happens that she puts on like a nice smooth jazz record and then there's like that that the whole scene where she's uh, walking through the city, and uh, it's a great like upbeat jazz tune that's going on there. Like it a lot, um, but I would say that the the soundtrack itself is actually pretty absent, and that's on purpose. Uh, it's, it's 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 more of a quiet works well. movie. Works really well. Yeah. How'd you like the whole? Uh, her walking through traffic in like a tra- nice little trance. Mm. Yeah, it's good. I'd, apparently, uh, I say apparently that was shot l- like live. So like, uh, she literally was walking through traffic on Fifth Avenue, and uh, when they were doing it, she's like, "Aren't I going to get hit?" And plans, he's like, "No one's going to hit a pregnant woman." <laughs> sure. Leave it all up to that. Huh? Which, which, which I again like. That's like the kind of like era of like why like 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 sixties and seventies films so much, where it's just so you know renegade. Like, oh yeah, just like yeah, just go ahead and do it. Yeah, you know, fine. Yeah, you know, you know, okay. Yeah, you know, who cares? 
the the scene in the the payphone too is really great because that all takes place in one shot. Long shot, yeah, yep. it's very good. Uh, again, like if you were to ask like somebody today, even probably from our generation, like what she's doing with the payphone, like holding it down, the receiver, you know, the down to like you know wait for the call, like people would be like, "What's she doing? What's she doing?" <laughs> um. You know, that was really good. Yeah. Was, there's a lot of, like, really nice little moments, you know, throughout the film that are really good. Yeah. Yeah, there are. Um, what, how, how do you feel about the uh, the ending where she kind of walks into the uh, the cult gathering that they have where the baby's in the uh, um, crib? You know, it's like a black... With a cross. Yeah, black, the upside down cross and a cross black... Uh, veil, veil on the, ba- you know, bassinet. And just like, hail Satan! Everyone's like, hail Satan! Uh, it's hilarious. <laughs> well, I like it too because of when she comes in and uh, she's got the knife in her hand and everybody's just kind of like looking at her like, oh, here she comes, this hysterical woman. It's weird too. I, I'll give the film props in the fact that they show like, they don't show her getting her, you know, her titty pumped, but they show her, you know, pumping out breast milk and she's like what are you gonna do with that like oh yeah you just gotta, gotta throw it out gotta throw it out and then she goes to put like a dirty spoon and they're like no 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 don't don't do that don't do that and she's like why it's dirty titty milk and like yeah well you know uh, uh might be using that for saying <laughs> yeah i mean the film is uh actually has a lot of moments where it's kind of surprising what it does and gets away with like um the uh, whole scene where the pope comes to her right and says uh, while she's basically has the de- the devil, um, you know, pumping away at her, and she, the Pope's like, "No, no, it's fine, it's fine, <laughs> everything's good." Um, this sort of like this blasphemous scene, um, I thought well, was whole, really good. It was good, but I mean, it's filmed in like that very sixties seventies way sure. of like you know, you know, kind of like. Uh, I mean, it looks fine, but it's, you know, very, like, cut in, like, uh, the fact that, like, they show, you know, her, Mia Farrow nude for, like, a couple of seconds, like, flashing, and they show, you know, her titties. It's, it's fine, but, like, at the same time, it's kind of, kind of un- unnecessary, and then, like, you know, the whole boat, I don't understand the, the whole boat imagery of her being on a boat when that's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, what that's supposed to symbolize. I think it's kind of fine because, like, what, you know, we see how we kind of see the rape transpire, you know, it's it, it's fine and it works, you know, well enough. Um, Castavetti's, especially after that, comes off as, like, the biggest fucking creep ever, which we didn't even talk about, like, afterwards, because when he's like, oh, let's have a baby, you know, after, like, let's have a baby, because, you know, He's tried to have Satan's baby. He's like, I planned out your like your menstrual cycle. You'll be the most fertile here. And, you know, we'll fuck then. Well, nothing yet and we'll have a baby. And then as she's eating the chocolate mousse, which he knew would make her drowsy, uh, he takes her off to the coven to get raped by the devil. And then afterwards, he's like, because we get to see during that whole rape sequence, like, kind of cast, uh, whether if Satan was, do you think Satan was taking, actually having 
intercourse with her, or if Satan took over Castavetes to have intercourse with her. No, I think it was really like a Satan intercourse. Yeah. So, so either what, what, regardless of which one of those, you know, whether Castavetes was, you know, possessed by the devil to dump his seed in her to have the, de- you know, ba- the devil's baby, or if it's the devil itself. Afterwards, she wakes up like you know with scratches and all this other bullshit. She's like, "What happened?" He's like. Well, I didn't want to miss baby night, so while you were passed out, uh, I, uh, yeah, we fucked. And she's like, what, you what? And she, he's like, yeah, well, I didn't want, didn't want to miss baby night. I mean, what are you being upset about? You know, I was pretty drunk, so, you know. Yeah, not, not only that, like, but like, because like, the night before, like, like, too, he was like, oh, it's fine. We've got a, we got all the time in the world. We can, yeah. we can try it again. And then the next day, he's completely like, oh, yeah, no, I'm sorry, I. I uh, just cut my nails because I knew you would say something about it. I was like, yeah, it was kind of like necrophilia, but uh, I got it done. <laughs> yeah, no. I don't know how that I don't know how that played in the sixties, but that definitely doesn't play well today. Like, what? You were passed out, so I decided to go. Hey, like, ah, we both had a couple drinks. Sin. You were passed out. You're my wife, so yeah. at this yeah. at this point, there's no legal recourse for you. Rape's not a thing, so yeah. I just you know, went to. Bleh. Yeah, that's a creepy moment for sure. <clears throat> um, anything else that we didn't talk about? I I think too. I think that would have been like. I mean, I think we do kind of see a little bit of like you know her mistrust in him after that. Sure, of course. But I I, I definitely think it would have been better to see her kind of more traumatized and not uh uh kind of want to interact with Cassavetes after that because mm. like you more than likely wouldn't be able to trust him <laughs> you know after you know that yeah and just dis- dismiss it as well he's a sex starved actor looking you know looking to be famous well you know who we didn't talk about we didn't talk about Hutch at all yeah Dr. Zayas Dr. Zayas Dr. Zayas Dr. Zayas what, what did you think of this kindly old man, Dr. Zayas, from Planet of the Apes, being like a random friend of some 20, like, four-year-old woman? I don't know. I can kind of believe it. Like, they just have, like, a family acquaintance or something, and he's he's now their, their friend. Um, I, do, I, love, I, love, I love him. I think he's great. I think he's underutilized. Feel, feel think, bad think, for him. I think the fact that they shipped him off to the farm that quickly, you know, was goes sunk, into a long coma and dies. Wakes up just long enough to be, it's a witch. He has the book, and then the- yeah, and and, the, and it's an anagram, and that's and that's it. Like he couldn't have said instead of it's an anagram, he couldn't have said like cast a vet's name is. <laughs> you know? No, no, he because these are learned people. He had to be like, no, no, you must. It's an anagram. Figure it out. And she dumps the Scrabble set out. Yeah, that's that was a funny thing, too, is like, would you go directly for Scrabble or would you just take a pen and paper? No, I, I you know what? Scrabble makes sense, especially in the 60s. Like, I was like, <laughs> need to figure this like, out. I, I can't be bothered to go find a pen and paper right now. My Scrabble board, I know, is right over there. <laughs> but I like Hutch. I think he's definitely underutilized. Yeah. You know, I think Maurice Evans does do a terrific job. Um, you know, because he smells bullshit right away when he's oh, like, yeah. Tannis. He's like, Tannis root? What is that? I've never heard of such a herb. Like, oh, it's a, you know, and then, like, he, 
Yeah, he's on the I side. I would have I would have liked to seen him kind of last, you know, throughout the film, kind of, you know, to kind of be like, you know, the angel counterbalance to all the demonry. But at the end of the film, the devil wins, so it's not like it matters. You know what I really love is uh, Laura Louise, who uh, is like the... Uh, <laughs> Sitting there fucking rocking the baby at Mach 12. and. <laughs> Yeah, she's, and Rose, she's, Rosemary's like, "Don't do that. You're upsetting him." And she's like, "Shut the fuck up. What do you know, you whore?" She's clearly <laughs> uh, jealous of the fact that the demon wasn't uh, from baby her. Is, yeah, is yeah. not from her. Yeah, I love her. Then, she like walks by and sticks her tongue out. And then Roman's like, "Well, she is the mother. She would know. Shut, shut your whore mouth, Laura Louise. <laughs> no one likes you, you fat bitch. Go eat a donut." Do you like do you like that dour ending that the fact of the film basically ends uh, even though Rosemary's giving birth to this the son of the devil and that things are going to be bad that she comes to her matern her womanly instincts and is like well I may not like this coven but it is my child so let me Yeah, you know I do and there's a reason for that too. Um I think if we t- again if we if we take rosemary's baby as a metaphor and it doesn't not necessarily that there is a demon baby but there is a baby that has a problem right like uh you know it's a it's a baby that obviously had uh you know defects autism the autism would be like the example today sure like, oh it's, it's and, autistic. and and ultimately you have that baby and then this movie the ending is her finally accepting the fact that yeah there was something wrong with that baby, but I'm still its mother and I have to deal with it. And I like I, I understand that having a, you know, raising a devil baby and ra- raising a baby with defects or something like that is a completely different experience. But metaphorically, I do think that that has a, um, an impact on the, the film's themes that that it's, you know, it, it does kind of bring up the fact that, like, you know, you, you had a, a terrible pregnancy uh, there was something wrong with the baby, but you're still its mother and you still have to take care of it. I do like that ending. I think it's um, I think it's one of the only ways that um, Rosemary can can continue to live, too, uh, because like I, I don't think that they would just be like, oh, you don't you don't want to care for it. Um, all right. Go on and live your life then. You know, there's no problem. Um, you know, just go go live a normal life. As you know, that this entire apartment complex is a coven of witches and you know, just brought a demon baby into the world. Um, but I, like, I think like she's, you know, she's kind of like guy in that sense where it's like, oh, I kind of have to go along with it now. Um, kind of stuck with it. So I do like that, that ending. Um, you know, we don't know what's going to happen, but she's kind of forced into it. And we joke, we, we joke about this being like the pro abortion film, but I mean, it's not anything that ever has ran through her mind throughout it we even actually hear her say a couple of times like no i won't get an abortion Mm -hmm. you know as she's her life's getting sucked out of her and she's becoming you know more and more gone um yeah i mean i think we can see the movie in two different parts it's you know part part one of it is wow the the actual autonomy of the the woman in this pregnancy has been sapped from her you know, and and she's not able to make decisions. Men men make the decisions, or groups of people make the decisions for her. And then the second part is that 
hey, you know, you sometimes pregnancies terrible and but yet, you know, you still have a baby and you still need to care for that baby. And that's your baby. Um, yeah, because I mean, like the I'm not saying the film has like a pro abortion stance, but it definitely has a. Because, again, like I said, like there's no I think it. It w- the film definitely would have benefited from having like her- Rosemary having like kind of like uh, debating the idea, but we see her throughout be like, "No, I want to have the baby. I want to have the baby. I want to have the baby." I would, but, s- like, again, but again, I think that's also because she's married. She has a family with income. She ha- like so she's privileged enough to be able to make that decision regardless. Right, and I think what you're saying, you're saying decision. I think this is a pro-choice movie. It's 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 allowing her to choose. Do I want to still have this baby? Do I want to have an abortion? I, I don't think it's a coincidence that they just bring up the fact about abortion. That is certainly something that is intended to be in the script. It wasn't just like a, a throwaway sent uh, like line or anything about abortion. No, I don't. I, I uh, excuse me. I don't think so either. But I think the fact, and it's probably. Like, you're right because then again, like the fact that she's throughout the entire film being manipulated by others or men trying to influence her decision, the fact that you know she makes that choice at the end, you know it's a pro-choice film. I just wish, in a sense, like it'd be a little bit more ambiguous on like like how like originally like how she feels, like have her kind of go through like the range of emotions on what to do because mm. I think the fact that we see, you know, the manipulation of people around her and trying to, you know, influence what she wants to do and all of that is fine. But I, I think the fact that she's pro like the whole time that she wants to have the baby because it, it hurts. But again, at the same time, again, I understand because she comes as we see through her fucking apartment, she comes from a place of, in, you know, from, privilege she has the ability to make that choice um i don't think polanski was thinking that too deep into it when making the film because that probably at the time would be like oh just normal you know normal white people problem with money (laughs) you know so it's not you know nuanced it's not as incredibly nuanced as as an issue as it could be i'm not saying it's good or bad for the film or as a detriment i just think the opportunity to make it a more nuanced take is, is there, mm-hmm. you know, make again. That's why I think if you had guy, his fall be more s- slow and on the uptake would have been much more impactful. Cause then you could see like, he's a starving actor. He can't pay for his wife's new, you know, the new apartment that they have. They're not making enough money. Can they support this? You know, the child that they want to have, and then thus that leading him to make the decision, like, I'll go with the coven to get these riches to do that. That would make the film much more impactful then. Because throughout the entire film, yeah, he's a struggling actor. But again, the apartment they live in, you would never fucking think that. Like, they live a life of privilege. Yeah. I think if you, you know, show, you know, showed that they were more over, you know, over their heads when it comes to that that would make you know that kind of argument much stronger 
and you know much deeper than what it actually is yeah all right so we gotta we gotta rate this movie so on a scale of uh zero to ten laura louise uh, hail satans <laughs> laura louise hail satans uh, in her thick um basically like telescope glasses well oh those are beautiful aren't they yeah <laughs> what would you give rosemary's baby I'll give it an eight and a half. Um, it's very good. This is a very good film. Um, it's a great little horror film. I don't even say so much horror. It's like, you know, psychological. It's got a lot of just delightful little notes. The slow burn aspect where it works really well. It's well paced everyone in it is a delight mia farrow is great in this film you know she shows a great you know array of emotion john cassavetes in this is great as well kind of seeing him go from zero to 60 and these nice little subtle ways is very good uh cassavetes are very good plots very good it's well paced it's not like, I would say, like a creepy, it's definitely not a creepy horror film or anything like that. It's very much more suspenseful and in the thralls of drama. Because um, it's, like we said, very much a slow burn. Everything's building up to something. Um, very good. I like it a lot. Uh, Charles Grodin's great as Dr. Hill. Great to see him. Uh, with his nice little mustache. Um... Yeah, I like it a lot. Uh, eight and a half, I'd say. Um, I would definitely say check it out. Yeah, I I agree with that. I, I would probably give it an eight and a half as well. Um, I think it's a, a really good movie that, um, you know, we, th- we think about it as a horror movie, but the way that it plays out is not necessarily horror. It's actually, uh, like you said, very suspenseful, um, but it doesn't have like an outright horror feel to it where there are pop-out scares and things like that. It's not scary, really. I mean, it might be scary in the fact that, like, men are basically uh, dictating Rosemary's life, but it's not uh, traditionally scary. But it is a suspenseful movie, psychologically manipulative, and I think that it does a really good job of showing a feminine perspective of what it's like to be pregnant and not really have a say in what's happening uh, to your body. And I think that also goes along with the fact of what, you know, what pregnancy is in general is you lose your agency, you lose the fact that, that, that you're in, in a, a single person, you actually become two people, you become the baby and yourself. And so you lose that sense of autonomy. Um, and I think the film focuses on that really well and shows just how much people ignore the person that is raising that and, and creating that baby. Um, <laughs> bless you. So I think it does a really good job with that. It, you know, Jeez, geez, wow. Bless you. Uh, I think it does a really good job with that. Uh, as long as you can get a, a, away from the fact, like you think about the context of Polanski directing this movie. Um, but it, again, I think he does a really good job directing it. It has really a lot of great scenes. Um, a lot of, you know, just off kilter oddness to it as well. Um, I think it all works really well. Everybody does a really great job 
Um, oh my gosh, I didn't interrupt you during your reading. <laughs> no, um, but it, but it has a really a, a number of great scenes, and I think it's it's really you know worth a watch uh, even now, um, so far in the future. Um, you know, and, and, and still has a lot of uh, pro-choice qualities uh, that are that fit right in with our our current uh, debates on abortion. <laughs> I don't know what the hell happened. Wow. Just, for, for four straight sneezes like this. Something. <laughs> All right. So, uh. It has not done wonders for my back in season. <laughs> so, what's next on the docket? Are we going to try to do Thor? I don't, I don't know. It's not going to be on Disney Plus unless you want to finally come out of your hole and go to the theater. <laughs> I don't really go to the theater. But, uh. Let's do Smokey and the Bandit. All right. Smokey and the Bandit. It's been one that you've wanted to do for a while. What's the uh, occasion that we're doing Smokey and the Bandit? Just talk about mewing. Just for the fun of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, have you ever you have you ever seen Smokey and the Bandit? No. Why not? I don't know. Why not? Just haven't. Why not? Hasn't been on my agenda, I guess. Why? Why not? You don't want to see a, a fucking Firebird flying around? No, I do. I want to see. You don't want to see Sally Field? I'm interested. You, you, you don't want to hear this? Hold on. Hold on. Getting really you don't want very, to, very family. Uh, I was gonna say you <laughs> yeah, don't want to say you don't want to hear Jerry Reed. Of course. I'm 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 totally interested. We'll do it. We'll do it. You don't have to convince me anymore. I'll tell you right now, Smokey if we're gonna do Sm- if we're gonna do Smokey and the Bandit, uh beer's gonna be Coors Banquet. There you so. go. Ah, uh, because that's what the because that's about. what they're smuggling, right? Bootleg, yeah, bootlegging Coors uh, across the Mississippi. Right. <clears throat> I think up until the mid '80s, you couldn't get Coors uh, across the Mississippi because they didn't pasteurize their beer. So, yeah, I'm interested. I, I want to see it. I I think it's a genre of film that you would. How many like just like '70s like uh, trucking films have you seen? <laughs> it's a very specific genre. Um, maybe just dual. <laughs> you haven't seen Convoy? No. Uh, I'm surprised there's not like a sub Italian genre of like you know Italian trucking films. There's really no, <laughs> not that I can think of. Uh, we'll check it out. So Smokey and the Bandit next up for the show. All right, well, thanks for listening. We uh, hope you enjoyed our episode on Rosemary's Baby. Hope to see you back for the next episodes. If you want to check us out more, you can subscribe to us. We are on pretty much any podcasting app that you can think of. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Homebase at Anchor.fm. You can subscribe to us on there. Leave us a nice review. That always helps us out. Uh, We're on Facebook and Twitter as well. Just search for us, Blood and Black Rum Podcast. Uh, you can also write to us at bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Uh, we'll take that into consideration. You can also give us any film reviews, uh, fil- uh, films that you would like to see us review, and we'll certainly think about those. Um, and then you can donate to us on pa- our Patreon page, or you can donate to us on uh, our anchor.fm page as well. Uh, either way, we're going to put that money back towards beer, so we appreciate that. Anything you can give our way. And uh, hopefully you'll You'll come back to tune in again for our Smokey and the Bandit episode next time. So until then, take care.